welcome to part one of our series entitled The World Cup. Anything can happen. And I don't know if any of you are soccer fans or not. I have two kids, both of whom played soccer, and I grew up playing soccer. I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second. One thing also, I want to, uh, to extend an invitation. Right after uh, we have worship in here this morning, we invite you to stick around. We've got a hot dog luncheon after church. In fact, the church has rented an entire ice cream truck. So there literally is all the ice cream that you, you can care to eat. It's on that, that grass, kind of that patch of grass out in the back. And we invite everyone to stick around, people of all ages. It's going to be an awesome time. I'm going to read today out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 15 through 20. And this may be a passage that some of you have heard before, or maybe for the first time it's when you're hearing it this morning. It was written by Paul, and I'll explain a little bit more about that later on as well, too. But this is what he writes. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason. It wouldn't stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, I would not, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wants them. If they were all one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many, many parts, but one body. Jesus is, is the one body, the body of Christ. And you and I, are, we're part of that. And that's the good news that we proclaim. That's what we talk about. Like I said, no pun intended, but we kick off a three-part series this morning on the World Cup. For some of you, maybe it's not a big deal. For others of you, maybe it is. But it is the biggest sporting event on the, on the planet. The, the Super Bowl, the, the Olympic Games, they all pale in comparison to the World Cup. And it really starts when about 200 countries come together. They start playing to see who's going to qualify for the, the top 32 teams. And then they play. Now we have up here a, a World Cup ball. This is a a pretty cool soccer ball. It's a, a nice one. Now, here's what we're going to do. A lot of people have had their eyes on this thing, and they say, can I have it when the, when the series is over? But, but here's what we're going to do this morning. How many of you have a birthday today? Do I see an arm, a hand? I'm going to give you the soccer ball then for your birthday. There you go. And we have a new contest today, too, where the person who has the soccer ball delivers the sermon. So, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. I remember when I was eight years old, I was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. My dad worked down in there, down in Miami, as so our family lived in Fort Lauderdale. And I saw a soccer game on TV, and I said, that looks kind of fun. I'd never played any sports up until that point, and my mom said, would you like to play soccer? So I started playing soccer, signed up for a league. We had about eight players on the team. It was like six on six. And so we had eight players on the team. None of us, none of us was any good. My, my family had a Volkswagen, uh, not a bug, a bus. Remember those, the Volkswagen bus? And it could seat, I think, eight people. And so we had practice every week. And then we had a game every Saturday. And I'm not sure why, but not a lot of parents came to our games. And so when we had road games, my mom said that she could drive. And so we would load all the players into our VW bus. 
We could fit the players and the coach and the driver, my mom. Now, when I tell you about the history of our team, I mean, we were horrible. In all seriousness, I don't think there was a youth team on the planet now or ever before that was as bad as we were. We had a horrible season. We didn't win a game. True story, I scored one goal, and that was for the other team. <laughs> and finally, oh, finally, mercifully, the season eventually came to a close, and we could put the dark season behind us. They did have that big rally at the end of the year where all the different teams from all the different age groups would come together and they would have a party and the coach would get up and say some kind words and the parents would always give a gift to the coach. Thank you for, for coaching our horrible soccer team. And, and uh, the, the coaches would each then introduce maybe an award to the player who scored the most goals or the, the, the goalkeeper who allowed the fewest goals or something along those lines. But our coach got up there and he started to talk about what a joy it was to, to coach our team. And he said, you know what, I have to pick a most valuable player for our team. And, and this award this season goes out to one of our rookies, the MVP of our team, Joe McKechnie. I, I, did I hear that right? I was stunned. My parents were stunned. <laughs> Everyone who ever saw me play was stunned dumbfounded really so I got to walk up on stage and they gave me a little trophy that said most valuable player and I held on to that thing like it was the holy grail showing it around even probably boasting to some of my teammates I'm the most valuable player maybe I wasn't that bad after all in fact maybe I'm a really good player maybe maybe I'll, I'll be a pro player one day I started to take this award stuff pretty seriously. After the coaches all talked and convened, we had cookies and refreshments and cake and punch and all that kind of stuff. And the, the players would all mill around and the parents would do the same thing. And they would talk to one another, shaking the hand of the coach. Thank you for coaching our awful team and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I went into the restroom. And I heard footsteps come in behind me. I, I closed the door. Nobody could see me in there and and then I heard the door open again and another I could hear another man walking in and so these two other guys were in this big restroom with me they didn't know that I was in there and they started talking and one of the coaches said rough season wasn't it and the other coach said yeah it was a rough season and I recognized that, that that's my coach that was the voice of my coach saying yeah we had a rough season the coach went on to talk about yeah it was just a, a tough season we didn't even score a goal in fact, our, our season was so bad, the, the, the reason that guy got the MVP award is because his mom drove all the teams on the bus. <laughs> I mean, I was heartbroken, crestfallen, really. I had no future in soccer, and yet to, these, to this day, I, I can still hear the, the coach saying those stinging words. We just gave our MVP award to the player whose mom drove to all the games. They say that sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's not true, I learned on that day. I've never found any success on the sports field. I did cover it for television and radio, and I loved every second of that. But the truth is this morning, okay, I want you to remember this, and I want you to, to always live this out, that regardless of your ability on the baseball diamond or on the football field or in the choir room or at the Actors Guild or at the honor roll, 
You were designed specifically to be a part of an amazing team. You as an individual, regardless of whether you believe it or understand it or know it, you were designed specifically to be a part of an amazing team. Now, let me take you back to the passage we read. It's from 1 Corinthians, and let me give you a little bit of the background, a little bit of context. This will show us how that you and I have been tabbed really for an all-star team of sorts. The city of Corinth, it was kind of like Las Vegas. It was known as Sin City back then. It was a wealthy, large city. It was known, though, for a lot of immorality. The city contained all sorts of pagan religious shrines, including Aphrodite's temple, which featured pagan prostitution. And, and Paul had established a church in Corinth in the year A.D. 50. The city of Corinth had residents from all over the world, Jews and Greeks and Romans and Orientals. The city was referred to as an empire in miniature. Corinth was a young city. It was less than 100 years old when Paul got there, although by this time it was five times larger than the city of Athens. And the Christians there were having a hard time with the influences around them. And they found the pressure was mounting on them to adapt to the culture in which they lived. And so Paul is writing this. The, the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul is writing to the Christians, telling them to, to stay on course and urging them to keep the faith. He's saying, look, as followers of Christ, we need our lives to look different because we are different because of what God has done and is doing. Whether it's in how we love our spouse or how we are called to forgive or how Jesus told us to, to love our enemies. We, Paul declares, are followers of Jesus and our lives should be different, not just because uh, of we're different because we're different from the rest of the world, but we're also different from the, the, the inside out. We're different from how we used to be before we knew Jesus. And so for many of the Corinthians, the passion that they once had for Christ had kind of waned, had kind of watered down. Things were in such disarray that Paul felt the need not only to write the letter, but to pay a visit to the church. And, and just as a soccer team or a baseball team or any other sports team, for that matter, depends on teamwork, so does the church, Paul writes. In the Christian life, there really are no lone rangers. God created us to be in community and fellowship with one another. That's why Chapel Roswell is so important because it provides a way to get connected, to get plugged in, to make a difference, and to see a difference made in you. The, the, the Bible describes the church, the church in general, as the body of Christ. Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. In other words, if I said, you know what, I wish I could play the drums... I can't, but I can't play the drums, and so therefore I'm not worthy. That's what Paul is saying. He says, no, just because you're not an arm doesn't mean that you're not a, that you're not a part of the body. If, if, if you see a skill or a talent and you don't have it, that doesn't mean that you're not a part of the body. It means that God is going to use you in a different way. That Paul is stating, though, that NI has an important part to play in the body. No other part of the body can function the way that the eyes do. And likewise, you were created specifically with some God DNA that no one else has, that you can do something that no one else can. If you're a follower of Christ, then you're a part of the body of Christ. And we have a role to play, and we have an amazing opportunity to allow God to work in us 
to work with us and to work through us. How cool is that? That God accepts us as we are, accepts us where we are. He picks us up, and as if that's not enough, he wants to use us to spread the good news that we have encountered. How are we living out our God design? On the other hand, when we're not all working together, we aren't living out the call that God has for us. We're, we're missing out on something. We're missing out on what he has in store for us. When the body is healthy, all of the, the various parts of the body are working together. They're working well. I recently had a, a filling that fell out of a tooth. It was on a weekend, and I had to wait until Monday to get, get it filled. And, and all weekend long, just any sort of pressure, any sort of food, any sort of liquid was a new experience in pain. Oh, it was brutal. Just a little bitty tooth on, on a guy my size brought me to my knees. How crazy is that? In the body of Christ, though, every role is important. Very often we think that if we could sing in the choir, then somehow we're better than everyone else. If we can play the drums, we're, we're better than everyone else. Or the opposite, I'm not any good because I can't sing. I'm not any good because I can't play the drums. Well, the truth is that each of us, like I said, was designed by God to do something. Maybe you're called to, to rock the babies in the nursery. Or maybe you're, you're called to be a part of the hospitality ministry. The truth is maybe you're, invite, you're, you're called to invite your neighbors or family members to Chapel Roswell or to church or to pray with them, to show them the gospel in action. Because when all of the parts are working together, everything in sync, it's amazing. A, a professional soccer team has 11 players on the field and each has a specific position, as does any other sport. Earlier in the week, I, I was in meetings all afternoon and left my cell phone on, on, on my office desk. And our 11-year-old son, he texted me, and I didn't have my phone. I didn't realize this until hours later. But he was selected as a pitcher for an all-star team out of East Cobb. He, he loves baseball. And as we moved from Canton down to this area, he was trying out for different teams. And, and one of the teams said, we want you on our team. We want you to be our pitcher. And he loves baseball. And he was texting, texting, texting. But, but I, I didn't get the message until afterwards he, he was so uh, just distraught because he wanted to, to, to tell daddy directly that he had made the, the team and he didn't get to do that but there are different players on the team and for him he is a pitcher other players are third baseman or second baseman or outfielders or catchers but the truth is on the baseball diamond everyone is important everyone plays a major role in what goes on the body of Christ, therefore, is made up of people of all backgrounds, different shapes and different sizes. Yet each of us has extended the invitation or heard God extend the invitation to us. And we've said yes to that invitation. That regardless, again, of what we've done or where we've been, you are so loved by God. Let me tell you about a young girl named Sagan. Sagan Woolery, she lives in, in Warner Robins, Georgia. And a few years ago, Sagan had a nagging thing that was on her mind. She realized that a lot of students in, in her public schools, they received free lunches. And so she kind of started to think about that. What happens when there isn't school? If they get free lunches at school, what's going to happen during the summertime? Or what's going to happen on the weekends? And her concern prompted her to think of ways to meet the needs of the people in her community or to meet the needs of those who needed free lunch. And so she jumped in and she started something called, called the Kids' Kitchen. 
During the summer months, the kids' kitchen would serve lunches to the children of that community. She started a, a massive public speaking circuit in which she spoke at area churches and, and civic groups, sharing her passion to help feed area children. She gained support from 10 churches and then countless individuals. She was in charge of overseeing more than 130 volunteers. She made it happen because she saw that there was a need. By the way, when she had this vision, when she started to, to go around and, and speak about this, when she started to organize dozens and dozens and then over 100 volunteers, she was eight years old. God is extending the invitation to each of us to be a part of his team. And unlike most teams, it's not based on how good you are. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on where you've been. It's not based on your social status or your IQ or the kind of car you drive. It's based on one thing and one thing only, and that is coming to grips with the fact that each of us, because of sin, needs a Savior to restore the relationship that God wants us to have. How cool is that? That you and I are loved by God and that God is not finished working in us. I pray that this morning, maybe you've heard something that brings about hope. Maybe you're in a stuck place and you just want to get unstuck. Maybe something that was said that will make that leap of faith later a little bit easier. Let me tell you about a special place. It's a special, it's a special country, we'll say. This isn't a true story, by the way. But it was a special country, a special island that, that was inhabited by nothing but ducks. Okay, these ducks inhabited this island. That's all that you found on this island, all these ducks. But these were not your ordinary run-of-the-mill ducks. They were Christian ducks, okay? They were Christian ducks. And every week, these Christian ducks, they, they, they would waddle down the streets of their little duck town. And they would go and they would waddle up the stairs into their little duck church. But one Sunday, their regular duck pastor wasn't there. They had a guest speaker duck. In fact, he was an evangelist duck. And his sermon was amazing. Th this duck told the crowd that, that, you know what, you're ducks. You can fly. You don't have to stay stuck on the ground. You can spread your wings. You can soar like eagles. And the ducks in the congregation were so enthralled by this. And they were quacking amen. And they were shaking their tail feathers. And they were so excited by this awe-inspiring message that they didn't have to walk, that they could fly and soar like the eagles. And when the service was over, they all waddled home. You and I have been invited to be a part of a special team. And I pray that we don't just waddle home the same way that we came. That we can understand the fact that we were designed by God for so much more. How are we going to respond to that? Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for your awesome love for us. And as we prepare our hearts and minds for Holy Communion, we come with a heart that is ripe for repentance. We know that, that we haven't always put you first in our lives, and at times we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, but yet you forgive us. Over and over, you forgive us. You offer us the gift of eternal life and, 
the freedom of sin and shame in, in this life. And so, Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to be a part of the team, even when maybe we don't feel worthy. I pray that that can be good news, not only for us, but it can be good news to all of those around us because they see the good news in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, we are going to take part in Holy Communion. The Greek word for communion is Eucharist, which literally means thanksgiving. In Latin, the word communion, it means to share or to have in common. And that's what we celebrate when we take part in Holy Communion. The original word communion it really wasn't a religious word. To the contrary, it was a business term. It represented a contract of, of two different people coming together. It brought people together. And now, despite our individual shortcomings or differences, Scripture refers to us as believers, as the body of Christ. We're different parts of the same body, different positions on the same team, we could say. And the Lord's Supper, it takes us back to the cross of Christ where the Son of God died for our sins. And we come back to the table again and again to remember the sacrifice that was made for you and for me. Jesus was having the, the Passover meal with his disciples when he took the bread that was being passed around and he broke it. They didn't know what to make of that. He said, this is my body, it's broken for you. He then took the cup and he blessed it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He was telling them that from this point on, things are different. Nothing's going to be the same. Our salvation is not based on our works, not based on how good we are. Our forgiveness is no longer based on the sacrifice of a, a lamb, for example. It's based on Christ, that we are forgiven and we are made new. And so during the Lord's Supper, we're mindful of that. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. Do this in remembrance of me, he said. We're mindful of the fact, though, that through his death, through his resurrection... We have new life, the promise of eternal life in heaven. And we also have the presence of the Holy Spirit here and now, moving in our lives, guiding us and wooing us closer to the Father. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, we don't come to your table trusting in our own goodness. Instead, we trust in your unfailing mercy. We come, Lord, with our hearts ripe for repentance, and we ask for your forgiveness as we confess our sin to you. Unite us as the body of Christ, exchanging our differences for the unity of Christ. We thank you for loving us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.